Welcome to another episode of the Worklife Podcast. To find out more about the Worklife Hub and to listen to other episodes, please go to www.worklifehub.com. Welcome to another episode of the Worklife Hub Podcast. I am your host, Agnes Uheretsky. If this is the first time that you are tuning in, let me just say a few words about this podcast. We speak to authors, researchers, business thought leaders, for them to share their knowledge and insight on work-life balance, leadership, culture change and organizational development. In our work at the Worklife Hub, we help companies reform their workplace to create a culture that embraces diversity and work-life balance. We are passionate about building vibrant and engaging workplaces that are great for employees and customers. If you would like to get in touch with us, you can do this via Twitter at WorkLifeHub, on our LinkedIn page or on our website. We're always happy to hear how you like the podcast or any other ideas that you would like to share with us. And now, on with the show. Welcome to the listeners of the Work Life Podcast. This is your host, Agnes. And today I'm joined by a true uh, global uh, traveling entrepreneur, Martin Piergord. Hi, Martin. Hi. <laughs> Martin is Danish, but he's joining me from London. Um, he's a startup enthusiast. He's an entrepreneur since the age of 18. He's also the author of Winning Without Losing, and this is going to be mainly the focus of our conversation today. He was born in Denmark, actually, the same year as I was, so very young person. <laughs> and um, he studied management, strategy at Aarhus University. He worked at McKinsey. And then maybe, Martin, I will let you just tell your story. Um, what is your journey? What is your passion? And what led you to writing the book Winning Without Losing? Yes, of course. Thanks uh, for inviting me, Agnes. Um, I grew up in a very small uh, place in uh, in Denmark, in the rural side of Denmark, and there was no startup ecosystem or anything like that. And I, I think you already re- revealed that both of us are around 40 years old. So if we go back, you know, uh, 25, 30 years in time, uh, there was not much uh, entrepreneurship going on, and especially not in Denmark, and especially not in that small, small village that I was growing up in. Uh, but my dad was an entrepreneur and uh, had been most of his life uh, and is still. And, um, and, and, and he would come home with uh, crazy ideas and, and say, now, now it's happening, now we're going to get rich. Hmm. That, was, that was unfortunately uh, too much of a focus for him, I think. <laughs> hmm. we, nowadays, we know that the focus should more be on, on, on making customers happy. And then if, if, uh, if, if you become rich, that's kind of a, a, a secondary thing that happens as a, as a reward for making customers happy. But he had too much, this, you know, just a straight focus on that. He, he, he wanted to, 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 to become wealthy on it. And he never did. Uh, but what he did manage to do was to inspire me for entrepreneurship because um, I could see that you could get your own idea and you could start working on it the next day and, and make something happen out of, out of nothing. So that became very normal for me. Whereas for my friends in school, they, they had parents who came home from work. So they, they, it was very normal for them to have someone who was working in a bank or at a hospital or something and were working at 8 to 4 or 9 to 5. 
but it was very different with the, what what I grew up with. And I think you know it's basically just that inspired me to uh, to believe that I can also start my own thing. So when I turned eighteen, I I, I launched my my first company. Then for five years, I launched five different uh, companies, all you know small biz uh, stuff uh, that I could get started without without basically any funding. Um, and I got up to ten employees a couple of times, but it also quickly started falling apart when I had employees. Uh, I was I know now I was terrible uh, I was a terrible leader um, but I didn't know at the time of course mm-hmm. so I, I was quite frustrated and after five years with five different companies and they all failed uh, I went back to school uh, so I took a master's degree in strategy and management I simply didn't know I had had any other uh, good ideas and then I took a piece of advice from my mom who had only kind of one input through my upbringing and that was get an education <laughs> uh, oh and- come on I'm sure she had more inputs <laughs> <laughs> She she had a few more, but that's what kind of what 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 stood out to me, because I was I was thinking I'm I'm creating my own company and that's much more important. But of course, after five five failed attempts, I I thought maybe listen to mom and go to school. So I I, I did that, uh, and um, and 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 there I I got a wider perspective. Uh, I don't know if it was so relevant what I learned as such, but I I got a bigger perspective and. A, Got to meet uh, meet new people, and my so what my I also moved to a bigger a bigger city uh, in Denmark. So my that was in in many ways really good. Uh, and there I got the idea that I wanted to be a management consultant because I I, I still had the dream of one day starting my own company again. But I was also very scarred by the experiences. So I thought I want to see how other companies are doing. I want to learn a lot before I go at, I have have another go at entrepreneurship. So I decided that uh, it could be cool to be a consultant because then you can see many things and many companies in a short period of time. And McKinsey was a company that came came out to the school and 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 and, and, and tried to make themselves uh, attractive to the ones with the best grades. And I thought that why don't I? Why don't everyone was talking about? Oh, McKinsey is so amazing, so cool. And if if one could only get a job there, everything would be amazing. And uh, so I decided to to give it a go. And I got the job, and I thought that I was, you know, so lucky, and that I was in 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 heaven when I got that job. But two weeks into the job, I realized that I was in hell. Oh. At least, at least my definition of hell. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so nothing bad about McKinsey. It works for some people. Um, and 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 and. Um, and, and, and the big problem for me was that you need to work pretty much all the time. And, and I, I really experienced there how, or how, how painful that was actually. And especially when it's not your own thing, but you're, you're doing a job for someone else and you need to work uh, all the time. And, but I decided that no matter what happens, I'm going to stay here for, for, for minimum a year uh, because this is just my uh, disciplinary experience. I hadn't been in the military or anything. So I just thought, okay, Unless they call security on me, I'm going to stick around for at least a year. And I ended up being there for 15 months. It felt like 15 years. And I, it came to a point where I couldn't sleep anymore. So, uh, I was uh, stationed in Kuwait City on a, on a project there. And suddenly, uh, without much warning, uh, I, I just couldn't sleep anymore. Uh, and for four nights I tried, but there was no hope. Uh, it wasn't even close. And and when you yeah, maybe some of the listeners have have tried this, uh, not being able to sleep, uh, and um, it's and, a and very scary experience. Yes, it is. Right. I only ever had that for <laughs> two nights, but it's very scary. It's very scary, and I, I, I know now that uh, it's just a sign that you need to change something in your life. So it's a gift, right? 
but yeah. it's a gift in disguise and, and you might not be able to realize it right away that it's a gift. It, it's definitely seemed like more like a curse at the time. But, uh, but what it did do was that it, it, it prompted me to take some swift action. And I called back home Copenhagen and I talked to Connie, the nice HR woman. And I told her that I, I have to uh, quit my job. And she said, why don't you come home and let's talk about it? Uh, I guess she was used to panicky people calling from abroad. <laughs> Young consultants, tired. But uh, so, so she was just trying to calm me down and trying to get me to, to, to just uh, come and have, have, a, have a face-to-face talk about it. Um, and um, I, I said, you don't really, uh, you don't understand. I, I need to type into your system that I have officially resigned my job. And, and she said, okay, if that's what you need, then, then I'll do that. And, and, and uh, when I hung up, I could just go up to my, my bed uh, in my hotel room and, uh, and I slept like a baby. Uh, uh. So it was, you know, there was nothing wrong with my health or anything like that, or even my psyche. It was just a matter of that this job was not for me. And I had been forcing myself to do it for too long. Yeah. And then eventually the body said stop. So this became a big turning point for me. Because it, it, it showed me in a very real way the importance of, of, of tuning in, which I didn't know at the time what was, right? Yeah. And meditation and mindfulness and all these things yeah. I only learned about later. But I got a very real experience of that if you don't have a good balance in your life, it's going to cost you dearly. Um, one way or the other, right? The body will just say stop. Uh, so so that was a, that was a big a big thing for me. And then afterwards, uh, so I, I quit without having a job. Everyone thought, of course, thought that was crazy. And of course, I knew it was the only sane thing to do. Um, and I found uh, then another job quickly with a with a, a famous uh, Danish entrepreneur called Klaus Meyer, who's the co-founder of Restaurant Noma. That's mm. been the best restaurant in the world for many years. And now he moved to he sold his Danish business. And he moved to uh, to Manhattan to to start a new uh, restaurant there. So a, a very charismatic, exciting guy with a lot of passion and energy for what he's doing. And I just uh, I got the job as as the first kind of business person you could say in a way sitting uh, in his organization anyway he had a good board he had some good business partners but his whole company had been growing a lot and it was still based uh, very much on the love for the food and, and the ability to cook food and uh, and give a good uh, experience in, in restaurants and catering and and uh, in, in cooking schools and these kind of things. So he didn't have a lot of business people in his organization and his board felt that he should have one and that became me. And I sat just next to him in his private home to begin with because we didn't have a real headquarters. Mm-hmm. Um, we had six companies. We were biking around the city in Copenhagen. We have a really good biking culture in Copenhagen, so that was okay. But one of the things I did was to get a headquarter for the company because it was actually it had been growing a lot, so it, it, it did make a lot of sense. And then for uh, for a couple of years, I worked for him. And while I was there, I built up my self confidence again, which was really lovely. Yeah. Uh, I saw another entrepreneur in action, uh, and uh, very very close by, I, I could learn from him. Um, and while I was there, I got a business idea uh, for something that was in the catering uh, industry, uh, and I convinced him gradually. It took six months actually because he would much prefer that I just uh, worked on worked on his projects than <laughs> than come up with a whole new business idea on my own. But eventually, I did convince him, and and uh, and then uh, I started this company, and I was the CEO and founder of it, and he was uh, the investor in it. Uh, and uh, and my co co owner, so uh, and then I was suddenly an entrepreneur again. That was amazing. I was very happy. Uh, we had a, we had a, we the first year we had a, a good uh, turnover of like 
close to 3 million euros. I'm just uh, in my head calculating from Danish kroner to euros, but around 3 million euros the first year, uh, and um, and around 6, 7 million the second year. So it was really amazing. And when the, and it didn't cost us a, a, a lot of money to start this company. Actually, we were close to profitable, even the first year. So I was very happy and very proud that now I was running my own company based on my own idea. Uh, and I could probably become, uh, yes, uh, keep growing that company, become financially independent on growing that company and uh, making a lot of uh, customers and employees happy in the process because it was a really nice company. But I started to be a little bit bored uh, already a year in. Um, because with McKinsey, I've been had, had, had so many exciting colleagues. I had to admit that, and working on different projects for Klaus Meyer, I had been working across six companies. Now I just was working on one company, and it was a very simple company in a way. And uh, I had employees, uh, but I didn't have any partners because Klaus was not really a business partner in that sense that he was active. He was so busy with his other, own things, so it felt a little bit lonely, a little bit uh, limited in a way. Um, uh, and um, and therefore, together with three friends, I came up with the idea of Rainmaking, which is a company factory that we started almost 10 years ago, and, and that's still uh, the whole epicenter of my uh, career and my work. Um, so we, we, we came up with the idea that we want to do a, a four new companies every year. That was the idea to begin with. And looking back now, we have launched 25 companies while we've been uh, doing this. Uh, and... Um, and, and gradually, we also expanded into running an accelerator that turned out to be Europe's leading accelerator now called Startup Bootcamp, yeah. with a business in 10 European cities and five other cities around the world, um, where we accelerate 150 startups every year. And we also expanded with co-working spaces where we have rainmaking lofts. Uh, that is in Copenhagen, Berlin, and London, where we have a thousand entrepreneurs in total sitting there renting desks from us and, and being part of our community. And then we also started doing innovation projects for big corporates. So we have 60 consultants working uh, around the world, helping the big corporates with, with their uh, innovation, uh, bringing in startups and bringing in the startup mindset into the big uh, brands of the world. So... But the starting point was 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 uh, was was back then, uh, ten years ago. So that's been a lot of fun. And one of the things leading to the topic of of your blog and 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 this uh, conversation is that I, uh, me and my friends from the beginning, we we when we did the whole foundation for rainmaking, we decided to be very value driven, and we decided that this project was about us having a good life. It wasn't. We, we we just chose to have faith that we will make money on what we're doing and we'll be okay financially, um, but we did. We didn't want to kill ourselves in the process. We didn't want to waste our days just slaving away and, and feeling uncomfortable and pain and pain and all these things. We heard so many people say that that's necessary to do a business, but we thought let's do something else. Right? This is uh, this this is our lives. We're not going to waste it. We also three out of four of us had just had our first child, so we were very. Um, keen on also be, be, be good parents. Uh, we knew health was very important to all of us. I had my McKinsey experience. The other guys were also very committed to health. Um, and we also had friends and we, we were like to travel. We wanted a good life. We were really passionate about rainmaking, but at the same time, we wanted a good life. Not like 10 years from now, but, uh, but right now. Uh, so that became the whole, uh, the whole foundation for rainmaking, which we call, call, chose to call the whole person paradigm. That's great. I mean, there are so many very interesting aspects uh, that you mentioned that that I would maybe just like to pick up. Um, 
I mean, already I find it quite interesting, this issue of you uh, going to school and then also the, the, the whole McKinsey experience. And, and you, you, you said it yourself that you were not tuned in. Um, we speak quite a lot here about, you know, aligning your passion with your talents and being in groove with your talents and passion. And, and it's interesting you know, that you already felt in the first week at McKinsey that that wasn't for you, but you still stuck around. And, and that's what we see also sometimes that, you know, it's, it's this um, social pressures of uh, being in the world of work in a way that, that, that work and success especially is um, associated to sacrifice and if if what you uh, describe here in, uh, in in your later life is is almost this idea that society would call this is too good to be true, you know, and yes. and I think that's also the same in startups. Somehow there is this startup mentality that you have to work twelve hours to to make a go of it. But we know that you just cannot. It's not it's not possible to work twelve hour days, you know, months on end. Yes, uh, absolutely. And we hear it all the time, right? I, I, I heard it from my own dad uh, all the time. He would say that success requires sacrifice. I'm sure he heard it somewhere. Uh, and he was, a, he was and is a strong believer in that. Uh, nothing can make him change his mind on, mm -hmm. on, on that perspective, right? Um, and, uh, and, and, and then when I read the autobiographies of, of famous entrepreneurs, within the first three pages, it would normally be there that you need to... Uh, to sacrifice uh, to uh, to become successful in one way or the other, that they would be pointing at that. And at McKinsey, it was surely a, a, a mentality of sacrifice. Um, they all knew, of course, that it's it's not fun to work well into the night every day and not be able to go home and see your your children uh, or to go out for uh, for a beer with your friends. Um, but they did it. For, they sacrificed for. For for uh, for the sake of their long-term financial well-being, or for the self-importance that is associated with being an important McKinsey consultant, yeah, yeah. Or, or, or these kind of things, right? So there's a lot of compromise, a lot of sacrifice in 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 uh, that's definitely the the norm. But that provoked me uh, and my co-author Jordan Milne, who's Canadian and and who had a some somewhat similar experience to, uh, as I did. Uh, when he was working in a, in a VC-backed startup in London. Uh, so we started having conversations about this, that it, it just wasn't sitting well with us. Because if, uh, you know, no matter if we only have one life, so we have uh, many, then we, we, we know we have this life. That's what we know, right? And I think it's up to us to take responsibility for having uh, a good life. Uh, no one is going to take that responsibility off your shoulders. It's only you who can do it. Right. Other people can give you advice and they can help you and they can uh, do the opposite. But at the end of the day, it's only you who, who can take that responsibility. And we, Jordan and I have both felt at unease with this message that were being, uh, were being told over and over again uh, by famous entrepreneurs and in the media and, and, and all that. And whenever, whenever everyone agrees on one thing, I feel it's a dangerous situation where a counter argument should be, should be voiced or investigated um, because the group thing so easily sneaks in um, it's actually not really you know if you read the philosophies that you can see it's 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 an often a topic that is dealt with that you cannot really distinguish between uh, you as an individual and the society you're part of 
it's actually a unity, right? Uh, and uh, and 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 uh, and and even though we think that okay, now I choose to 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 dye my hair in in, in orange or something, that is also a consequence of that society you are part of, <laughs> that you're just uh, positioning yourself in opposition to. So it, it's really really difficult to break the norm. Uh, but but we, we were just starting with this perspective that this is our lives, and we need to be in control of it. We need to take uh, take charge here, and we can't just be be listening unconsciously to what everyone is telling us. Uh, maybe there is another way. Um, and then we what we, we but we needed some some we needed some input. We needed some confidence because we were not that successful at the time. Um, so what we thought was a, a good idea was to go out uh, around the world and search for people who were really successful, beyond doubt successful, um, also you know in the traditional financial sense of it. So very uh, successful entrepreneurs and business leaders who had built big companies and big fortunes um, on their own. Um, and uh, you know, of course, together with great teams, but I mean, they, they weren't just... Uh, uh, Taking over from their parents, yeah, um, and and then we we were looking for these special people who were contradicting the uh, the, the the normal perception. Uh, so people who were actually willing to stand up and say, "It's been fun creating this company. I really enjoyed it. I've been able to have a good balance. I uh, you know play uh, play basketball four times a week, and I see my my my, my kids every night." Uh, and you know, someone who could uh, tell a different tale than the tale of sacrifice uh, and compromise. Um, and we, it, it took a long time, actually, because most of the successful people were in the old paradigm, or what we can call it, and yeah. just uh, it's ranting on about how, how hard it was. But we did find, uh, we did find our, our, our role models uh, gradually over a, over a period of, uh, of, of almost three years. And then we interviewed them, and we found that to be extremely exciting because they just had a different way of looking at the world. Uh, and 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 uh, and for them, it, it wasn't so it wasn't so either or. They, they they could actually do both. And we didn't just look at at lottery winners or anything, right? We looked at people who had created something from nothing, and we asked them how was that possible? Why you have been able to live a good and balanced life? And then they just shared their secrets. They didn't intend for it to be secrets, but no one had really asked them that way before because we all assumed that that can't be done. So they, they shared their insights with us, and we distilled the essence in the book uh, called Win Without Losing that we then uh, published, and, then, and it became the business book of the year in the UK. So it also turned out that there's a lot of interest in these insights. They just haven't been voiced before. Absolutely, and I think that you are tapping into something really, really current i mean you know just last year ariana huffington she wrote um, her book about sleeping when she fainted at her desk and and i think even um you know richard branson and others are more and more coming out so to speak on on their needs of rest of switching off of recharging and and I think that it is, I mean, you know, our motto at the Work-Life Hub is breaking the mold, breaking this cookie cutter mold of this ideal worker who is this uh, worker bee without any other uh, outside of work interests and just very productive. But that, you know, in the knowledge economy in 2016, this is no longer viable. 
And we know that people are much more productive, they're much more creative and innovative when they have a good balance. So I think, firstly, congratulations on the, on the success of your book. And, and I think that you have really put your finger on the pulse. So would you, Martin, maybe like to share one or two of these stories or strategies that were quite surprising for you or something that really inspired you most? Absolutely. Uh, so I remember one of the interviews I, I did with uh, Bill Liao, who is an entrepreneur and a businessman who lives in Ireland. He's been the part of seven IPOs. And, um, and, and, and he, when I asked him for his most, single most important advice for how he's been able to, uh, to do all that, while at the same time also being an environmentalist who have been planting millions of trees and and uh, he, he 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 doesn't uh, he doesn't obsess about work and he always has empty inbox and it's just you know he's a really fascinating guy and uh, <clears throat> I asked him how, how how has it been possible what's the single most important advice and he said uh, listen mm. simply to listen that's the most important advice and. Um, and and I thought it was, it, was, it was you know we all know the saying that we have two ears and one mouth because we should listen twice as much, but it's kind of something we say to children <laughs> often uh, when they talk too much, right? Uh, or maybe if we think it applies in education also where you should learn a lot. But when you are an entrepreneur, you should surely or a leader, you should surely talk a lot and share your vision and create excitement and. And, uh, and and inspire uh, your teams and all these kind of things, which is of course also true. Uh, but um, the the reality is that many of us can do with a much uh, different uh, balance between uh, talking and listening, uh, more to the side of listening. Because when you listen, that's when you can learn something, and you can actually also influence people a lot more when you listen than when you talk. Um, so in every difficult situation. The, I would say the def default should be to start with listening, not by talking, right? It's, it's a normal thing if we, if we have a team member uh, where, where, where something is not really working out, uh, then the, the normal thing could be to think as, a, as an entrepreneur, as a leader, let me tell him or her how I want it or how I see it uh, or what is wrong here. Yeah. Um, but you, uh, you, you risk of going at it from the completely uh, uh, wrong angle or not having enough insights when you do it <clears throat> if, um, if, if you don't start with, uh, with listening instead. So uh, it's actually also in, in the book Seven Habits of Highly Efficient People, which is an all-time bestseller and, and I think an amazing book that I read when I was 27 and it meant a lot to me. Uh, there's one of the chapters called Seek First to Understand, Then to Be Understood. And we made it a, a key component in the culture and rainmaking, always to start, seek first to understand. So what Bill said really resonated with me. And we put a chapter in the book about listening. And listening is not only listening, right? It's not just shutting up and listening. Of course, that's where it starts. But, but it's also a certain way of listening where you actually uh, change your perspective. If it needs to be changed, you learn something. And you also uh, send signals to the other person of respect uh, and that all makes it possible for him or her to listen to you afterwards when you offer your perspective. So the seek first to understand, then to be understood principle uh, and uh, simply listening some more uh, was in a way surprising to me that would come from an accomplished business leader like Bill Leal. But uh, also I can see how, 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 how it, may, it makes a, a lot of sense and how it's important to stay true to that principle. And, and it, I mean, it also evokes two thoughts one one is that 
you should also listen to yourself, right? You should also tune in into what you yourself are telling yourself in terms of signals of your body. If you're getting exhausted, if you're, if you cannot, you know, concentrate anymore, um, but also to listen to your, your, your kind of gut, gut feeling. I think also that is something that, that quite often successful entrepreneurs also claim, you know, that they really have intuition and they follow sometimes counterintuitive or what society would tell them not to do. They still go for it. And they manage to find a niche. They manage to find this sweet spot where, where they can create something out of nothing. Absolutely. That's an important part of, uh, of listening as well. Now, maybe, uh, I mean, time is always running way too fast on the podcast. And, and I think it's a fantastic, very, very interesting conversation. Um, just wanted to ask you about um, these strategies that you describe in the book. And, and actually this whole um concept of, of paradigm of you know working and having a crafting your successful life crafting your 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 the career you want um you, we uh, somehow seem in the media also portrayed as a kind of a split that now you have these um global nomad um, digital entrepreneurs who can work on the beach and they are usually depicted uh, on, on a beach with a laptop um, <laughs> and then we have the all the other people who are stuck in in their offices but so can these strategies uh, be also applied to people who have regular employment they're in jobs um, would this book also be an inspiration a possibility for them uh, yes, absolutely right. So we, we wrote it with 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 the entrepreneur in mind. Uh, to be you know to be yeah. fair, that was our focus because we were starting up our own companies. But what has surprised us a bit afterwards was how much uh, feedback we have gotten from people who have who have jobs, um, uh, reaching out to us saying that this is this has really meant a lot to me in my job, um, and many of the strategies. I can see are uh, just as, as as relevant when you have a job as, as as when you're running your own company. One of them, for instance, to do a today list instead of a to uh, to do list. Uh, or simply every day, uh, starting the day by writing down three things that would be really good if you can accomplish today. That would move you towards your long term goal, uh, or, or your you know your 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 plan for the year. Uh, and then make sure to do those three things. It's an extremely simple thing. It's something we learned from one of the role models called Mr. Muthi, who's an Indian billionaire. Uh, he's been named the, the, the businessman of the year seven years in a row in, uh, in, in Asia. Um, and when we interviewed him, we thought that he would be, because he also sits on the bo boards of Ford and the HSBC and Stanford Foundation and you know a, a lot of really, really big uh, corporations um, and organizations. Um, in addition to running his own company, Infosys, that have hundreds of thousands of employees, literally, uh, and he was the lead founder of that. Uh, so we actually thought that he would be quite uh, stressed out when we interviewed him. <laughs> uh, and he was just so calm, so calm and, you know, such a lovely energy. And uh, we asked what was his most important advice. And he said, you know, ever since I started my company, uh, I, I just made it a habit to every morning write down three things I want to accomplish today. And then I made sure to do those three things. 
And then I, uh, I also make sure to allow myself to feel good about it. Mm. Because when you start your own company, you can, and, and you can actually nowadays in most uh, jobs, right, in, in, in the knowledge economy, it's almost good for all jobs. You can work endlessly on the yeah. things. You're, you're never done as such, no. right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, you can just keep going. Um, but it's really important also to allow yourself to feel good about accomplishments because that is also what gives you energy to go at it tomorrow and the day after and the day after, right? Um, and that's simple advice. I, I immediately started implementing that. So I have a little note on my on my phone where I type in the three things I want to accomplish every day. Um, of course, I, I still have a longer list of to-dos uh, to make sure that I empty my head and if I get a good idea, I can put it on that longer list. But I don't obsess about it because the thing about a to-do list is you, you never get you, you never finish it. It's mm -hmm. impossible. I never met anyone who finished their to-do list. And, and when you one day die, it's not going to be with an empty inbox or an empty to-do list. So it, it creates an artificial stress. Uh, it can at least do that. And the more sophisticated we make the to-do list and the systems where we can give each other uh, to-dos and, uh, and we can say if we're 30% done with it and, and, and track progress and all like that. It, it, it's, first of all, it's not doing the actual task, of course. We should remember that. So it, it's fine to have a system, but also remember that if you write in call, uh, call a patty or something, then maybe it's better just to call patty. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so there can be a lot of obsessing around uh, these uh, systems uh, and it can create a lot of stress. Uh, zooming in on the three things that I can do today that are important for my long-term goal and then make sure to do that uh, and celebrate that you've done it. That is a, a thing that goes for you know all of us, no matter what we do. Uh, it's such it's such a simple thing, but it's at the same time very very powerful. At least it's been in my life. No, absolutely, and I think that I mean we talk a lot uh, on the Work Life podcast. We talk a lot about the impact of digitalization, and and I think that one one of these issue that comes up is is what you just said is so so important that um, we can fill our lives, fill our days with activity that feels like work <laughs> emailing and social media and but may not be in the strictest sense taking us any further any closer to our objectives yes and then all of this padding of with these digital tools also gives us you know this 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 comfort that we don't have to tackle the really difficult things that we need and and it's interesting you mentioned you know call this person and i think with this media and and emails and all of that phone calls became so quite rare but also they seem so daunting to call somebody <laughs> and i can send an email and yeah. and 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 i think that's that's fantastic advice and and i i have heard you know different versions of it to make a success list uh, in the day, not a to-do list, but but I think that's that's very important because it's this sifting and prioritizing from the million things anybody literally could just be doing to those that that are really important. And it may mean that you won't answer quite a lot of emails, but then you will make that one thing that that is going to make a difference. And I think that's great, great advice. Thank you. Now, before we go to the last question. Um, would you like to just tell listeners how they can find your website, how they could find you and get in touch with you? Yes, of course. The, the most uh, easy thing is probably to go to uh, Rainmaking's website. That's rainmaking.io. Um, and we also have a website for winning without losing, winningwithoutlosing.org. 
Um, my my last name is, is is very difficult to to spell for anyone outside of Denmark. Uh, but of course, also I have a website called Martin Biago, and uh, I, I'm on Twitter with my last name uh, Biago. So we will put these also into the the write up of the podcast. But I'm sure that uh, people will be able to find you on on the basis of this. Now coming to the last question, which is always the same here on the Work Life Podcast. If Martin, I mean, you have given us already so much very valuable advice, but but maybe if I could ask you for one more, what would be your advice to perhaps um, a startup CEO or an entrepreneur um, who are now in the midst of the hustle and bustle of, of making, making their uh, company successful? Um, what would be your, your advice to them to finding balance? Uh, so I, I think it's it's good to spend some time clarifying what one actually wants to get out of life, because otherwise, if you don't know that, then it's easy gets to be just following the norm, uh, and and we could surely only have this commitment to to balance in lives because we, the four of us who started rainmaking, spend a lot of time talking about so what does it actually look like. Uh, adjusting expectations, talking through different scenarios, and making a really firm commitment to work-life balance, uh, because there will come pressure from all sides uh, along the journey. And, it, and if you don't have that strong agreement um, uh, among you, and, and actually not just on a high level, but but very specific, what does it mean um, in uh, in day-to-day -day life, and what does how do we prioritize in different situations uh, to talk to talk through all that. Um, I, I think that that's incredibly important um, for the yeah for your ability to have balance. And then, of course, in addition to balance, you also want success. Yeah. <laughs> and, and and to get that success, I, I think that it's very important to 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 know why you exist. Um, because uh, if you have a strong if you have a strong why, if you have a strong reason to exist, and uh, and and the people you you bring in. They come in because they are ignited by that, because they're excited by that. Then there's so many things that that, that that's a lot easier. You don't need to have a Facebook policy. You don't need to look over people's shoulder and see if they're doing enough. You don't need to think so much about how do we install a, install a performance system or something like that. If people are really excited about what you're doing in your startup or in your business or in your department or in your innovation project, then uh, then the, there is the, the energy to begin with and you don't need to all the time uh, create that energy artificially. Uh, mm -hmm. Rather, you can actually just be uh, the person who is guarding the, 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 the balance and the values because people are inherently very, very motivated to, to do what they're doing. Uh, and we, we, we tried both, right? We, so in doing 25 companies, we surely tried uh, sometimes to forget talking enough about why we are doing the company, and it's not enough that we're doing it to make money, right? That's back to the, the mistake my dad made. It's never going to inspire anyone if, if it's just about making the founder rich, um, and it's not, it's, it's, and you know, it, it's not putting the right focus in place. Um, so, to uh, we, we definitely tried uh, not being good enough on that, and other, other times we tried uh, where it really came from the heart, from our heart, uh, and uh, and we were good at communicating it. Uh, what, why are we doing what we're doing here? And it, it was just pulling together people who felt the same, that this can be improved, this can be done differently. And then when you have a group of people like that, then 
it, it's 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 uh, as as the leader of that, it's not hard at all to uh, to make them work and to make them do their best. Uh, actually, what 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 I found myself having to 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 pay attention to was instead that people didn't work too hard yes. <laughs> because everyone was so excited about what they're doing. It's actually very easy to create a, a, a culture where people are so committed uh, to the to the to the. Uh, to the business and to the idea and to what you're doing together as a team that that, that they can work uh, well into their stress levels and, and far beyond. Uh, that's not a problem to do that. You can easily orchestra, orchestra that. Um, but of course, as a leader, your responsibility is that all stakeholders are thriving. Uh, the customer, as well as the employees, as well as the environment, uh, all stakeholders are aligned and thriving. Um, so to get that, uh, to have a very strong commitment uh, you know, to wrap up on your question, to have a very strong commitment to balance among the people uh, who are who are starting this thing, uh, and 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 then also to make sure that there's a very strong reason why why does this exist, and that you're communicating that uh, and sticking with that. Great, Martin. Thank you so much for taking the time, coming on the podcast, sharing your experience so generously. Um, I really, really enjoyed our conversation and I think the listeners are going to take away tremendous value from it. So thank you, Agnes. Uh, thank you very much. You're most welcome. Thank you.